Your impression of a football club is often influenced by the kind of things that they're doing when you first start watching the game. So to all of us, Sheffield Wednesday are one of the biggest clubs in English football. If you look at their history, it's profoundly brilliant. You know, More league titles than almost everybody else in the game, more FA Cups than almost everybody else in the game. Granted, a lot of them were a long time ago, but still, there aren't that many clubs who have done more to influence the English game than Sheffield Wednesday. And when we were young, it's nothing like what more modern fans will have experienced. In the early 1990s, they had a really great team that came up and with the Ron Atkinson from the second tier and won the League Cup in the same season. Ron Atkinson obviously then left for Aston Villa and he was replaced by Trevor Francis, who became a player manager. Uh, Francis kept that going. And in the early 90s, they did really well. They not only got promoted, but finished in the top three in the top flight the following season. The year we're looking at, they've just signed Chris Waddle, and they're about to have another great season in the inaugural Premier League season. Uh, so, lads, just to kind of get things underway. Yeah, Wednesday, big big club, right? It's, you go think back to how they were back then, rather than all the stuff that's happened to them since they've been relegated. It, it's it's really kind of odd to think just how much of a fixture they were in the top flight. There's that whole slice of clubs that that have just gone into that sort of championship meat grinder in the 2000s onwards and just have never got out again. Like you think about Forest as well. We talked about Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago. I mean, obviously. Both in their MK Dons guys and their AFC Wimbledon guys, they've not been back to the top flight. So, I mean, you know, it's just a Derby have become a yo-yo club, haven't they? I mean, Derby were a, a top division feature for years and years and years. So, it does seem to have happened to a lot of clubs that were properly big time. But I think, yeah, Forest and and Wednesday are the, are the two that really stand out because. Yeah, I, I can't imagine them, you know, not being that sort of uh, that level anymore. Like, it's, it's it's really strange. Like, seeing Forrest do well in the FA Cup this season has been really nice. Because it's like, well, that's that's what Forrest are. Right? Like, they should be beating Arsenal, you know? Um, so oh, well, well, Hold on, let's, let's not go too far. But yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, that Arsenal they should be dating, but yeah, like, uh, but yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday of the nineties was was uh, as you say, like you think about you look at their managers, Big Ron, Trevor Francis, David Pleat, you know, the the players they signed, you know, Waddle uh, in this season, like an aging Chris Waddle, but still a brilliant Chris Waddle, and then you know, a few years later they have Benny Carboni, and it, lots of iconic players have gone through there. Yeah, you wonder in some ways if that kind of their home ground kind of forever taints them for some people, don't they? I mean, a, a lot of people, if you says, what do you know about Sheffield Wednesday? That They probably just say that a, a horrible disaster happened at their home ground, maybe. Um, for younger fans, that's maybe the only point of reference that they have. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, well, it's, it's a shame, but, you know, it, it obviously to talk about Hillsborough is, 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 is a big deal. But, you know, the fact that this is this is a stadium that was hosting FA Cup semi-finals at the time, it shows it was one of the top stadiums in the country. And, you know, to be one of the top stadiums in the country, yeah, very likely to have a half-decent team playing there. Coming up, they were one of those teams, you know, as me and Neil were, were growing up, they were one of the teams that were just, uh, you know, a fixture, a fixture of the the top flight and you, you know always see them around the owls and it was certainly the, the the club you heard a lot more of in Sheffield 
you know that that's changed now it's united that you hear a hell of a lot more about and who have their trips up to the top flight every now and again but seems like such a long time ago that that they were you know when were they last in the in in the premier league around 2000 i think yeah they they went down about 2000 which would be the same year that wimbledon went down we obviously spoke about that a couple of episodes back so we lost two fairly iconic and fixtures of the premier league at the same time and i guess they were replaced with that new generation of teams that became the long-running fixtures of the next 10 years and obviously the likes of the boltons and stokes have all disappeared as well but i guess you got leicester kind of starting to 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 make waves at the end of the 90s haven't you yeah Uh, they 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 come up uh, in 95, I want to say, 95, 96. And they're just a, a fixture then until Martin O'Neill leaves. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, like Coventry, you, you lose Coventry about 2000 as well, don't you? So it, it, yeah. it was around that, that, that time. Forest, I think, last time they were up was 2000 or 2001. Um, so there was like a whole a whole group of teams that had been around for a really long time that, that kind of exited out that trapdoor. But I think what's interesting about about this Sheffield Wednesday side, when you look at it, is, you know, you've got England internationals. Uh, so Chris Woods was was Pete Shorten's understudy. And, it, and probably in any other era would have been England's number one. Um, he kind of unlucky oh, to, have, to have played when Shilton was kind of in that late career. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Indian summer, if you like. He was really good, wasn't he, Chris Woods? Carlton Palmer obviously was a Graham Taylor favourite for England, much to everyone else's chagrin. You had Roland Nielsen, who was a Swedish international. Um, Fantastic you know, fullback, Roland Nielsen. He yeah. really was, wasn't he? Yeah, defensively so so, and plays in that really good '94 World Cup team that Sweden had that went all the way yeah, to the yeah. semis. And of course, they had an American. They had John Harkes, who was kind of the first American to do really well in English football, wasn't he? Mm, definitely, yeah. And then. You know, you had, a, you had a couple of really, uh, really good midfield players like John Sheridan, the ultimate utility man in Paul Warhurst, who would go on to actually, he's, yeah, he'd go on to win a title at Blackburn, wouldn't he? He played for he Blackburn will, yeah. in the title winning season, having made his name at Oldham. And then up front, goals galore, really, wasn't Mark Bright and David Hurst? Like they were two of the more prolific English strikers around at that time. And David Hurst, pre injuries, kind of him and Shearer kind of came up at the same time and people thought Hurst was the better player. Mm. And it's not nailed on if you look at the way they were playing in those early days that they were wrong. You know, it's you, you see when you look back at some of these old games, the sheer number of tackles from behind that Hurst was subjected to. It's not really a surprise that injuries blighted him the way that he did. And I guess we'll never find out who would have been better. But it's really was neck and neck at one point, as you say who was going to be the, the leading the line for England. And uh, obviously, injury basically decided it. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Ferguson famously tried to get Hurst, I think the season before, like the, the last the last year of the old first division when Leeds won the title, Ferguson tried to get Hurst that Christmas. And then he tried for him again when they ended up getting Kansnar. And it's kind of quite a fateful thing, I suppose, isn't it? That, that um, he couldn't get David Hurst, so he got Eric Cantona, and it turns out to be the the most iconic signing of the decade. But but certainly it, it does show you that Ferguson went in for Hurst, and he went in for Shearer. He didn't get either of them. But, you know, Ferguson being Ferguson, that kind of worked out fine. One of the most important moments of the year for this 
team because they start quite badly. It's worth remembering. They've obviously come off a really good season where they finished, I think, third in the last year of the old first division. I might be wrong on that. You correct me if I am. But they start off with only one win in the first half dozen games or so. And that's when they go into the market and bring in Mark Bright. And that becomes essentially a kind of pivotal moment for the whole season. Uh, I think Trevor Francis says you need, if you're going to do well, your strikers to be pushing on between them to collect something like 40 goals. And I just didn't see that happening with David Hurst and Paul Williams. So I swapped Paul Williams and some money for Mark Bright. And Brighty became, it was really, really good this year. I mean, Do Bright- you think he's underappreciated now? Yeah, massively so. Like, I think as well, though, this is, this is the other thing, is that people only think of Ian Wright at Arsenal. But the Wright-Bright-Palace combo, you know, I remember watching Saint and Greavesy you know, every Saturday and they would show right and bright every weekend, just terrorising second division defenders. It Um, was vintage. It was just, you know, your classic big man, little man type partnership, wasn't it? It was just a really good, (laughs) really good partnership there. And yeah, uh, Mark Bright was a fantastic player. Yeah, really good target, but good good with the ball at his feet as well, you know. And and I think maybe he gets underappreciated as well because everyone just knows him now as like you know the guy off football focus or whatever. But um, he was, yeah, he was a really good player, scored a lot of goals and very consistent. And of course, you know, he's because he grew up with Ian Wright as well. Like Ian Wright obviously became one of the most kind of like iconic players of that early Premier League era, and certainly like for Arsenal fans, probably one of their most beloved players, isn't he? So he, he casts quite a large shadow. And I think maybe, yeah, Mark Bright does suffer from that a little bit. So definitely underappreciated, I'd say. Yeah, so what's to say that they bring him in, there's still a long time before things start to to write the shit. There's, there's a few wins to talk of, but generally I think it's, it's a season of two halves and we're not going to do it in massive chronology the way we sometimes do because it's it's not that kind of story but by December they're only a couple of points off the bottom and then things turn around so quickly that over the course of the next two months they've put themselves in a good position in both cups we'll talk more about the cups in a moment I've no doubt but they're also on the heels of that triumvirate of Villa Norwich and Man United are all pushing for the title. So they've turned this around over the course of, I think, what, seven or eight games in a row of just of just wins from drawing three all with Man United on Boxing Day. And the season just turns and they're just playing some really nice football and you know, they're finally starting to get the ball rolling, they get the run of the green. Is that one of the most remarkable things about this whole kind of story is the yeah, this good team who are like massively underperforming and then just turning it around and going on this huge charge that powers them through to the top kind of six or seven, I think they finish in the end, uh, and into both finals. You know, this this kind of massive momentum that they get going on in the second half of the season. It's confidence, isn't it? You know, when your confidence is up and you go on a run like that, you you do. You start to believe that you, you, you could do wonders. And, you know, you're going to Spurs, you're going to Chelsea, and you're picking up three points, you're going to... You're progressing in the cup. You're going through those rounds, and suddenly you're fighting relegation, and you turn it around, and you're suddenly flying up the league and absolutely on tearing in two cups. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. But you know, as I know from watching Arsenal this season, you know when you're in two cups, especially back in those days, and you're not talking about massive squads and this, that, and the other. 
your eye on the league does start to slip a little bit and you're thinking there's some silverware up for grabs here. So, you know, your priorities shift a little, don't they, when you're on a, a good run like that and heading towards finals. It's quite interesting because they they could have done even better in the league because actually after that, that epic run where basically they they play QPR just before Christmas and, you know, scrape a 1-0 win, you know, as you say, as you say earlier on, Pete, they have this epic three-all draw with United on Boxing Day, and then they basically go on this this win streak uh, of like, well, they win seven in a row. Then they draw with Liverpool. Graham Souness is Liverpool. That must have been, I suppose. Um, but then, then they they kind of just as the cups, you know, it's, it's probably not a coincidence, is it? Just as their uh, their cup run starts to really get going you know, they end up losing a lot of games and drawing a lot of games. So, you know, they, from March onwards, they lose to Coventry, lose to Villa, draws against women in Oldham, lose that very famous game to Man United with the two Steve Bruce headers. <laughs> Which, you know, Villa's only chance of winning a title <laughs> disappears into the, uh, into the ether yeah. with that one, hence, hence Pete's reaction. And then they end up losing the last two games of the season to Blackburn and, uh, and to QPR, and QPR finished immediately above them. So they could have done even better. But, uh, you know, I think, as we said last week, football teams like this are essentially, like, about romance. And I think when you look at their cut runs, it's the way that Chris Waddle, an absolute genius, plays during those cut runs that really stands out. Because it it was, again, it's it's always so beautiful to see somebody that's physical, yeah, their physical um, abilities might be declining, but the skills are still there. And to see them just pair their game back a bit and just be effective in a different way. And I always think of the uh, Zidane performance against Brazil uh, in the World Cup in in 2006 in the quarterfinal. Um, I, I watched that video at least like, you know, once a month or something of the highlight video of Zidane just absolutely like mugging Brazil off in that game. It's just a 10 minute video of ballet spins and uh, and 40 yard passes. <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, Waddle was like that in that in those cup runs. He was absolutely running the show you know, in, in a way that, uh, you know, only players with, with vast amount of experience and skill can do. And it was just a joy. So I think it's the romance of this team, really, rather than, oh, well, they finished seventh in the league, but maybe they could have finished, they, they could have finished third. But that's not really the point. The point was that they were uh, an awful lot of fun. And, um, well, I guess we should probably talk about the, uh, the, the nearly men tag a little bit with those two cup finals. I mean, just before we do, I wanted to touch on what you were saying about the effect the Cups had on that league. And, you know, maybe that was the kind of point that did it. This is the frequency that they had to play with. And this is just the league games. Remember, the Cups are kind of sandwiched in around these fixtures because all the finals and the semifinals and so on are in this kind of period. But they played on just the league games, the 7th of April, the 10th of April, the 12th of April, the 21st of April. The 1st of May, the 4th of May, the 6th of May, the 8th of May and the 11th of May. So they're playing a game every two, three days for about seven weeks. I mean, it's kind of ludicrous when you think about it. You talk about the amount of, we, of 
talk we have nowadays about player welfare and you know fatigue and so on. But these days, just well, go and get on with it. And, yeah, and smaller squads as well, much smaller squads. They also play a quarterfinal replay uh, in the uh, in the League Cup, so they have to they have to replay against against Ipswich, and you know obviously the League Cup finals to this day. Uh, the the semis are two legged affairs, so they got to play two legs against Blackburn a month apart. Weirdly, I mean that that's really strange scheduling, isn't it? That they had to play the first leg against Blackburn on the tenth of Feb, and then the second one the fourteenth of March. Ooh, a bit mad, and they had a UEFA Cup run from finishing third the season before, so they played an awful lot of cup games that year. Yeah, an awful lot of cup games and modern fans again might not realize that they also had to play an fa cup final replay but we'll come to that later on when we talk about the cups in more detail too you were talking about romance and i think the one thing that we do have to touch on before we get there though so still touching in the league is that david hurst wasn't the only strikers to have injuries and there comes a point where the man for all seasons paul warhurst goes up front for the first time. And I think he's mainly a centre-back to this point. And when he plays for Blackburn, they're going to convert him again. And this is where I mainly think of him as, as a midfielder. But Paul Warhurst becomes an emergency striker this season and goes on a ridiculous goal-scoring tear. I think he scores in almost uh, four or five games in a row. He becomes the first Sheffield Wednesday player since the war to do it. It's just one of those wonderful romantic stories where someone gets thrown into a role that you're not expecting and they and they excel at it. But actually, back then, there was a lot of defender striker converts the likes of Dion Dublin for instance yeah Warhurst he, he'd played there for Oldham I think there was a top, one of the Oldham cup runs he played some games up front for them so he, I think people knew he could do it I, I guess yeah he this was the season where he did it with the most regularity though it's funny to think of him as being some sort of uh, English Ronald De Boer that can play anywhere <laughs> on the pitch um, you know, but if, even if you think back to players like Steve Nichol or Ronnie Whelan, you know, they played absolutely everywhere for those Liverpool teams in the 80s as well. So, yeah, total football, not just for the Dutch, I suppose. It, was, it wasn't uncommon, was it, back in those days to have people all over the place? And, yeah, you know, it was different game to today, I guess. You know, when you look at those number of games that they're playing, probably hung over in a lot of them. But if you think about um, some, even if you think about something like Bernardo Silva, right? How many different positions has Pep played Bernardo Silva in? Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of it, sometimes in the same game. You know, he'll be a full. Wouldn't six. fancy him at centre back, like would no, you? probably not. But <laughs> full six, full eight, full nine, winger. <laughs> Basically, he's everywhere that around. isn't goalkeeper and centre half, right? He's pretty much. I think. I mean, I guess Pep's fullbacks do a very, very specific job, so he probably wouldn't play wouldn't play there either. <laughs> Maybe but, not. but he's but he's played all over the place for them, you know. And I, I think that you know that yeah that sort of tactical flexibility that those sorts of players offer you uh, is really really valuable. But uh, yeah, you're right though. At Blackburn, he ends up being a kind of very very good box to box midfielder, you know, in that team alongside uh, alongside Tim Sherwood. Just before we then move on, because we are going to have to really go into the Cups in more detail because it's just the whole kind of thing. But uh, one of the, you obviously mentioned Chris was that there is a very strong people Trevor Francis played with access to this 
kind of team, isn't there? And you think of uh, Viv Anderson is still playing for Sheffield Wednesday at the point that we're talking about and actually playing rather well. Uh, and he'd obviously been with Francis at Forest. Um, I think they were there at the same time anyway. I don't think I'm yeah, wrong in, like in saying that. Well, yeah. um, I mean, Viv Anderson's still playing is... is... It blows your mind a little, doesn't it? It's he like... was so he was so young when he was winning those European Cups with Forest, though, and then when he was going, even when he went to Arsenal, he was in his early twenties. So it's. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, he's done funny. a decade at Forest before he joined Arsenal, and that was almost ten years before this. So. And then he joined he, Wednesday from United. Yeah. It's quite, it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible career when you think about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, Forrest yeah. in their pomp, the sort of Charlie Nicholas era Arsenal, who weren't quite the Graham Arsenal, but still were, were winning cups and stuff. Then to sort of uh, early Fergie United. Early Fergie. Um, and, and then to the Sheffield Wednesday too. Yeah, it's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Shout out to Phil King as well from the uh, League Cup win inside a couple of years ago. You'll eventually join Villa and score that goal against Inter. So I just wanted to mention him quickly. I don't think we need to do any more time than that on Phil King, but he uh, he needs to get uh, name checked. All right, so the Cups. You start things out and they they manage to kind of limp through the, the, the League Cup. Uh, it's not when they're playing well particularly, because obviously they're losing in the league in those first couple of rounds, but they get drawn against Hartlepool and do just enough away and win quite handsomely at home. Then they smash Leicester 7-1, one of the kind of biggest results of the season. But it's really kind of later on in the, the year where the kind of memorable stuff starts to happen, isn't it? Where you start to get the kind of two legs with Blackburn, the quarterfinal and the replay with Ipswich, the really, really great game with Derby County in the uh, FA Cup. It goes three all and they end up going back to Hillsborough for the replay. It's so it's really the second half of the season, even when you get to the Cups, all well, the memorable stuff starts to happen. But there's so many games to actually pick on, even before we get to the the elephant in the room where they end up playing the same team in both finals. Yeah, I think the big memory, I mean, the big memory for me of that Cup run is obviously that was all free kick against Sheffield United so you got a an all Sheffield FA Cup semi-final which is brilliantly romantic in itself completely full house and then, at Wembley at Wembley and then Waddle scores a free kick which was somehow even better than the Gascoigne one against Arsenal a couple of years before just a, a ludicrous strike and it is worth just mentioning for anyone that wasn't watching football back then that the semi-final wasn't played at Wembley as a matter of course this was moved to Wembley to accommodate the sheer number of fans that they wanted to get in the ground. Move from Elland Road, I think, which would have yeah. been just... I think it was the it only was. the second time they'd done it because that Spurs-Arsenal game in 91 was at Wembley because of, yeah, because of how big a deal it was. And then they uh, they did the same thing for this. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you didn't get many at this point, did you? I, guess it's, I can't remember exactly when it turned, but it wasn't very often a, a, a semi-final location, was it? It, no, it's it, almost it, always it, Villa Park and it's pretty much Villa Park. And Villa Park, Park, Old Trafford, Hillsborough, yeah. Yeah, it, it, if, if it was a London team versus a North West team, Villa was kind of in the middle. So it was, that was yeah, that was that yeah, was generally almost, the uh, generally the way. But yeah, obviously we had both both sides that year at uh, Wembley. Yeah, best not talk about the other one. Ooh, uh, <laughs> be lucky if we we don't talk about the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like they moved to the having both semi-finals 
at when basically the uh, about 2003 is when they kind of made them the, the decision to do it. I'm not sure when they actually started hosting them. So it's a while yet. So all the FA Cups oh, wow. that we talk about through you know the 1990s which is basically what we like talking about on this podcast they're always going to be played at the these other grounds so it really is a rarity that this is done and it's even rarer for two teams that are based so far away from the capital but they fill Wembley with you know so much color you got the the blue and red dividing lines uh, when you see the overhead image and there's a wonderful moment right at the start where uh, John Motson is doing the commentary and he says something on the lines of uh, two sides divided as much by footballing style as much as anything else um, and that really brings home just how classy the the reputation of Sheffield Wednesday was at the time they were seen as the cultured half of that rivalry as opposed to a more scrapping Sheffield United side I suppose that's personified by Waddle and that wonderful free kick. Is that personified by Tango Man? (laughs) (laughs) They could have just let Tango Man and Sean Bean fight it out, couldn't they? Of course, this was, this must have been the era of that. What was that film called? The Sean Bean film where he plays up front for Sheffield United's complete wizard film and was it actually called When Saturday Comes? When Saturday Comes, yeah. I I think it was and then I'm, I'm questioning it. I'm questioning myself. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, I think you're right though. With but, yeah. Pete Postlethwaite. Oh my god! <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like every uh, every northern actor ever. It's an incredible story, I think. You know, because they were both in the yeah, inaugural. A couple of years later, uh, when Saturday comes, '96. But both those Sheffield teams, like in a, an FA Cup semi-final together, both in the inaugural season of the Premier League together. You know, you have got these great, you know, these kind of great names of the like early Premier League. You know, sort of like David Hurst, Mark Bright, and then on the other side, you've got Brian Dean, who, of course, was in football trivia kind of Hall of Fame for sort of uh, being the first Premier League goal scorer. So it's a very specific era, I think, isn't it? That, that kind of point where football is starting to, you know, move towards what it would be later with the advent of the Premier League, but it's still very, it still feels very innocent. It still has a lot of the characteristics of you know the old first division you know including how seriously everybody took the cup oh yeah ma- massive deal still at this point the cup it it, it was and i think we talked about we, we we really talked about post 94 hadn't we as you know that world cup as being one when was that was it the everton episode we did mm-hmm. uh the one where where people you know it started to change obviously this is the first year in the premier league so the the money's not flying around quite yet the, the way it it would start start to but yeah it, it's still very very early days and you don't have those you know like we talked about in that ever episode we've we've got you know your foreigners a swedish fullback and an american of all things but yeah, so so the money's not there yet. It still very much feels like the old first division, doesn't it? That the Premier League in those first couple of years, and you know these big, huge names coming in that that would now you wouldn't think twice about, you know, a, a Janino signing for a Premier League club, would you? It'd just be, it's just part of the course these days. But you know, uh, you still a couple of years away from that really kicking in and being a big deal. 
the Chris Waddle transfer was still a massive deal back then. You know, and yeah, as, yeah. As, as you say, he was kind of an aging Chris Waddle. It wasn't like in his Spurs pomp, but that was still a big deal, and he was still capable of of producing. It's not the same as oh, we've just dropped forty million on some kid from Flamengo or wherever. Quite, and that that's exactly where we where we still were. You, you you're talking about you know a great player, you know who who's past his prime a little bit past his prime you know he's waddling a little bit let's just say he went to he went on to play until he was about 44 chris was as well didn't he so he's one of those yeah. people that he just kept playing like he just doesn't care like i'm i think he probably still turns up and plays five aside now uh, yeah, i mean you know he played football didn't he you don't lose he, the he's skill one either. of those players with, with yeah he, he had that he had that touch didn't he he wasn't yeah. he wasn't a winger who was all pace based was he you know he he had that fantastic uh way with the ball and yeah you know it, it it was a big you know we're talking about one of the biggest stars of of the league you know for four or five years prior not even you know even less than that and coming home from from a few years abroad you yeah know, i mean it, 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 it's it's always a big deal you know we we bought Platt home, didn't we, a couple of years later and Gaza coming back to, you know, even Gaza going to Rangers was like huge, huge news. Mm. Uh, you know, that uh, uh, mid-90s, you know, early 90s, mid-90s, e- even heading into the later end of the 90s, that was still a big deal when the these stars would, who, who had ventured out, would come home. You know, I remember the constant speculation over where Paul Lintz would land when he came back and stuff like that I mean it's it's worth remembering that you know when he went to Marseille he was actually the third most expensive player in the world at the mm. time you know he he was part of a Marseille team remember that won the European Cup and, and and you know he was also one of England's better performers in the uh in the 90 World Cup too so so you know this is a really big deal but for Sheffield Wednesday to get him and he doesn't disappoint them like he uh you know he plays unbelievably well and I think he only gets better as the season goes on really so just to cycle back to what I said a moment ago because we got into this through the the cups and you know Waddle's performance in in some of these later rounds of these cups and how important they were it is worth remembering as well the the FA Cup was really, really important, but people still thought of the league cup as fairly important, especially clubs like Sheffield Wednesday, where their only honour in 50-odd years at this point was a League Cup win. So nobody was taking these kind of things for granted. Neither, I think, back then were their opponents. I mean, over the course of the Wenger period and the way football has evolved, I think Arsenal got into a policy for a while there of not really caring about the Cups before the more recent thing of some of the Cup successes were hiding some other issues. Fans of the Clubs at the top of the top flight maybe do kind of take the League Cup as a, bit, a much more minor trophy than they did back then. But nobody was taking it as something to be ignored, even though they knew they had the FA Cup final coming on in a few weeks' time. I think both of the teams had played their semi-finals in the, the FA Cup, so they knew they were going to Wembley again. They knew they'd be playing against each other. But Arsenal and Sheffield Wednesday go to extra time after... Uh, Maz, you'll be able to tell me who scores uh, Arsenal's goal. I know Waddle scores Sheffield Wednesdays. Uh, Was it righty? I can't actually remember. I believe I'd, I'd want to say it's righty. I'd want to say that, that righty's the one who scores our, our goal that day. 
and I've got my wires crossed. I know because they don't go to extra time. I've got the wrong. I'm thinking of the. Uh, the oh, final oh, yeah, you look at you. Yeah, well, I think well, the well, FA Cup. Up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I've gone. Your extra time through me. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I confused myself. Um, so they, they, what they do is they, uh, it's John Harks who the the American who scores Wednesday's goal, not not Waddle. He scores in the FA Cup final replay. We'll come to that in a moment. But uh, obviously Arsenal, uh, I think they take the lead and then Harks equalizes, and then obviously you get Steve Morrow. Um, just take us through, uh, you know, the, what you can recall of this whole kind of run of uh, five games against Sheffield Wednesday. It, it was a lot. I, I've got really strange memories of being in Edinburgh as a kid on must be like Easter holidays and wearing like Arsenal gear, walking around Edinburgh and stumbling across like a, a, a Wednesday fan and discussing the whole fact that we're going to be playing these these games together and like what's going to happen and. You know, will we win one each? What's going to be the deal? And it's a strange thing to be in. Yeah, a very strange thing to be in two finals against the same team in in these cups when you consider all the teams that that are there. And if you're talking about an era where you had two, if both cups this season were Liverpool versus Man City, you you wouldn't really blink an eye would you because you know you're talking about the two best teams but you know you're not necessarily talking about the two best teams in in the country you're not talking about the two best teams in the country let's face it at that point but yeah it was just a very very strange a strange thing and you know we were very much focused on this at, at this moment and we're, we're in the later era of graham we are not the flair team from a couple of years before uh, who walked to the title? Pretty much, we 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 were becoming a a lot more stubborn and had become very suited to cup football. And yeah, I mean, I can't really remember what I thought of Wednesday at the time, to be honest with you, because you know I I certainly thought we should beat them. It, it, I didn't look at it and think we'll be lucky to win these finals. You know, I was of the mind that that we should win those finals, but, you know, it it wasn't ever going to be a walk in the park. No, it is worth adding that a lot of that is going to be club profile because Wednesday were finishing above Arsenal as a general rule at the time. So some of that's going to be, as an Arsenal fan, you kind of expect to win in a one-off game and Arsenal had a good record in Cups. They had more honours. There's a certain amount of that going into this, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, you know, we were, you know, we we were champions a couple of years prior. So you know, it it really wasn't that long ago that that we were, you know, we were at the top of the game. So you'd think you'd fancy your chances, but yeah, for the it's League quite, Cup final, it's quite interesting that Morrow ends up being the hero, isn't it? Because you were trying to bed in this sort of younger generation of player. Yeah, yeah, you sort of. Doesn't Andy Linegan score in like the FA Cup? Yeah, the, the, the replay. The re- yeah. yeah like, the winner. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you've got this, you know, generation that's kind of coming up that I guess you could compare it to, you know, the generation behind, you know, behind the Invincibles in that, you know, they, had, they just had impossible boots to fill. But they do get a bit of a moment in the sun with this, these, with those two cup victories because, uh, it's actually the younger players that play really well in those games, and it's 
I mean, what yeah. you say? What you say, man? It's like probably Paul Merson's last really good game for Arsenal as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the the the, the League Cup final is 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 Merson, isn't it? You know, the the, the famous uh, the famous Merson celebration, beer. <laughs> yeah, beer yeah, celebration. Yeah, come back to horse. and you know he he scores the he he scores our first goal in in, in the League Cup game uh, in the League Cup final and. You know, Merson was my favourite player at this point in time. You know, why wouldn't he be? You know, <laughs> you're a 13 year old watching your football club. You know, Merson or Wright are going to be your favourite players in, in in that Arsenal team. And you know, because because uh, Merce was more bedded in at that point, uh, and Wright he was was pretty fresh to the fold. Uh, Merson Merson was my main main guy at this point in time. But yeah, you know, we had a lot of a lot of players coming through at that point. I, you know, this this we're talking about Ray Parler coming through quite a lot this season on the Arsenal side of things. And if I remember rightly, I think he don't I don't think he plays in 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 the replay of the FA Cup uh, final. But had a really good game in the first game or something like. It's all a bit of a haze to me now. It was a pretty much 20 years ago so 20 sorry 30, 30. years ago Maz, what do you think <laughs> but yeah you know but there, there, were, there were quite a lot coming through you know Ian Selly Hillier yeah it's that, we, it's had, that, we had a yeah. whole host of it's that generation isn't it like sort of come you know because I guess you're you know you had your kind of uh at, you know, like Adams came through your ranks, didn't you? And then they, they obviously bought Winterburn and Dixon for peanuts. Yeah, uh, but, it, yeah. but it's the generation Probably below so that cool. coming up. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking about the next generation. You know, there's not a whole heap of talent that made it out of that generation, to be fair. You know, there was some there were some players who went on to have, you know, good good careers. And, you know, but, you know, parlor aside... No one who really set the world on fire. Um, as we said before, when we talked about that that '98 Arsenal team, like it took Parler ages to get going, didn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Right. So it, it's it is. I, mean, I do find it really, really interesting that 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 kind of uh, that early Premier League. Yeah, Arsenal just aren't a threat, really, are they? In the, in the way they were in the early nineties. So they're a cup team. Yeah, no. For a cup team, you know, solid defence, nothing in midfield. You know, this whole era we're talking about, we need some midfielders. You know, the whole era, you know, and you you got righty up top and, you know, the the odd person like Merson or, you know. Tailwind of Alan Smith. Yeah, yeah, you know, Smudger could knock up and Kevin Kevin Campbell must be coming in around now. Yeah, yeah, this is this is around that time as well where where Campbell Campbell is, you know, good player, good player. It's, it's one of those. Player. I can't Not remember which player. one, but it's one of those two that actually replaces Parler as they move tactics to accommodate the, the replay. Because, right. I mean, stop me if I'm wrong. This this is kind of my recollection of it. I remember, and let's bring Wednesday back into it a bit more. I remember the League Cup final kind of thing, feeling, OK, Arsenal probably deserved to win that. That was probably the right result. And then the FA Cup final, it's like, ah, Wednesday missed their chance and maybe they deserve to win the first game 
of the FA Cup final. And they, they, that, having missed their chance, that when Arsenal had a chance to adjust, that was when they you know, obviously had a chance to win it in the replay. That was the thing that maybe this made them the 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 two time losers, if you like, was because Arsenal took their chance when they were the better team and Wednesday didn't. Took yeah, I guess so. But you know, you got to remember we were on the verge of penalties in that in that replay as well. You know, it was literally was Arsenal beat Wednesday. Last you know, yeah, I, I I remember the the the, the commentary the, the sign off was Arsenal beat Wednesday Thursday through late night Linigan. It was literally the last minute of the game, last minute of extra time, you know, not even the last minute of the game. It's, you know, the 239th minute of the <laughs> of the FA Cup final. At that point, it, it's it's there and right, right on the verge of going to penalties, which, you know, as we all know, anything could have happened. You know, I'd have I'd have fancy I'd have fancied it with Waddle on their team. But, you know, it's. Uh, anything could have happened at that point and it, it, it was one of those really surreal things because it was obviously middle of the night at that point and at 13 you know that wasn't really up that late very often so you know certainly on the Thursday and it, it's definitely past my bedtime watching it it's, fun, it's, it's funny isn't it like that that whole thing of like because the year is it the year before or is it the year before that I think it's yeah, it's two years before, isn't it? The, the famous, you know, Les Seeley United, the whole kind of United um, winning the cup final, saving Fergie's job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like that was a replay, and yeah, midweek cup final replays. Like it, it's just it's just a completely different world, isn't it? Like nowadays, like they're even trying to you know get games to basically just going to extra time pens no replays at all uh in the FA Cup and it is a it's a very a very different world you know sometimes teams got to Wembley having played a couple of replays of a couple of ties you know you might have played well, 10 or 15 Spurs games Spurs Arsenal like free replay game in 80s is it the 87 we just kept we just kept playing each other in in is it is it the League Cup in 87 Arsenal yeah, no, Spurs. I think, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, it's like it's like Clive Allen Spurs team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 mad when you think about it because I guess you didn't have the Champions League in the the format that it is now. You know, English teams banned from Europe for a long time, and even when they come back to Europe, it's straight knockout football. So the top teams don't have that kind of fixture pressure. Whereas now, like, can you imagine Pep Guardiola's face if he if you tell him he's He's, he's got the Champions League final on May the 20th, but on May the 18th, he's got to play an FA Cup replay on a Thursday night. <laughs> like, it wouldn't go down too well, would it? Yeah, I've just looked it up. So it, it was the two-legged semi-final of the League Cup that finished 2-2 on aggregate. So we had a replay three days later after two legs. Crazy. Squad, squads weren't big either. You know, that's the other thing. It's like no, no, your, it was... your first team squad was... You know, 18 players probably. It's like it's we said earlier on, you I'm, just had to get on with it. It's why I'm 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 always very cynical about professional athletes um, not being able to play two games in a week. Come on, I know all the sports science and this, that, and the other. I'm like, come on, seriously, like people did it after a fish and chip dinner and smoking a fag at half time. Yeah, no, that that was certainly the era. <laughs> 
I guess it's one thing if the other team are doing it as well. Well, yeah, I guess that's the... So, yeah, Wednesday end up as the unfortunate team. They do finish kind of above Arsenal, um, but I guess because they're so far out of the top position, there's no kind of European qualification for for seventh back then, Uh, no Europa Conference League in the early 1990s. Uh, There's no silverware to take home. So I think in a sense... Not even an intertoto place. No, no intertoto place, which, I mean, some (laughs) later teams would get for finishing 19th, I think. Um, I think it disguised that. (laughs) But I guess just, just finishing thinking, has that unfairly hidden just how good this team was is it unfortunate for them that they've ended up with this are oh, they the team that lost twice to arsenal and actually that hides a lot more quality than that label would lead you to believe yeah i think so I, I, you know there's i think as our sports culture in the in this country has got more americanized do you know what i mean like when i hear kids talk about sport it is very much like if you don't win if you don't have the best stats then you're basically crap. I, I guess you always like have banter with your school friends about, you know, about the football results. But but now it's just, it's so personal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'd ever come to school if I was a kid now because <laughs> like it's 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 sort of you know like a let's say a kids Liverpool fan. They're at, they're at top. You know, they're right at the, right at the top of City. They are like miles in front of everybody else. They're one of the best teams in Europe. But if they lose a game, like it's all Liverpool are frauds, Liverpool are crap. Klopp doesn't know what he's doing. It's like it, it, it's crazy, really. And I think that's kind of, you know, I do blame the kind of way American media looks at sport like that for a way. You know, like there's a, you know, in the 1990s, the Buffalo Bills went to four Super Bowls uh, in a row uh, and didn't win any of them. And that was a great team. But because they didn't win the Super Bowl, they're, they're not considered a great team, which is just kind of a bit bonkers to me. And and that Sheffield, that Sheffield Wednesday team was a really good team. Um, and had had sort of Lady Luck been a bit kinder to them, they could have ended up winning both of those finals. Um, and, and it was very close, wasn't it? You know, they were 2-1 score margins. It's not like they were... Not like they sort of had a great cut run, then got battered 5-0 by Arsenal at the end of it all. You know, they, it, they, were, they were in those games. I just think you know um, the, the the sort of culture of saying if you didn't win the thing then your season was worthless. I just think is is just totally wrong. And you know I think I'm sure Sheffield Wednesday fans just cherish those memories of those cup runs. To be honest, particularly given the you know given where they find themselves now, you know um, in in the same way that I'm sure like older Derby County fans you know cherish the memory of them being the best team in the country in the uh in the early 70s you know so you know all teams have periods when they're kind of down on their luck um even even the kind of the big teams have had that you know united are going through it now liverpool went through it in the mid 90s um for a long time didn't they let's face yeah. it you know i mean the banter being thrown liverpool's way even even with the champions league up until last year until they finally won that title again you know that you know, I, I was I've been dining out of of that Liverpool banner with my mates since since I was in school. You well, know? I mean, I guess Liverpool they went from being very clearly the best team in 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 the country for twenty years to suddenly being quite mediocre. I mean, essentially that's what's happened to Man United as well. 
uh, more it's, recently. It's pretty much the same thing, you know, and Liverpool were probably never worse than fifth best fifth best team in the country, the same as, you know, probably United, where United are now. But yeah, it's coming down from from those dizzy heights, isn't it? But when teams are down on their luck, you know, and particularly where you get a team that has been relegated and so on, you know, we've talked about Charlton in the show, we've talked about Bolton, um, you know, who almost went out of business completely last year. Villa had their uh, quite traumatic time back in the championship where at one point it looked like they'd never come back up. When teams are down there, like, like, you remember those very memorable things much, much more. I, I know, like, a lot of Spurs fans, for example, are sort of, you know, keep thinking back to those early days under Pochettino and, and, and the way that that team played. And having, you know, two functional centre-halves and things like that just seems like a, a world away. So, it, yeah, Wednesday fans, I'm sure, um, remember those cup runs incredibly fondly. And, and, I, and I would bet that even people that weren't born when they happened, you know, have been brought up with, that, with those legends. So uh, it's a nice story to, uh, to look back on, I think. Yeah, it gives... A something you know it hasn't been a lot of fun for them over the last 20 odd years they've spent time down in the third tier which is quite unusual for a club of that kind of stature but they will always have that run through the 90s where they were an established Premier League side they got to watch players like John Harks and Chris Bart Williams and David Hurston Chris Waddle and if you watch some of their link up play now go back and watch it and you know for all this it, it stands up today the kind of kind of quality and this kind of period that we're talking about in the early 90s where they won the League Cup and where they you know pushed to win the FA Cup and the League Cup in the same season and they were in the UEFA Cup and you know finishing in the top three or the top six or seven you know, this is really the apex of that kind of team. And we're really glad to just have a, a an hour or so to talk about it today. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing something different because four at the back is for the first time going to Spain. We've got a two-part special coming up. In the first part, we've got something that you'll all be familiar with. Can you say Galactico? We'll speak to you again soon. Yeah.